well, this is kind of interesting. We, uh, we should have had a betting pool going on, but on whether it would be a bigger crew this morning on this daylight savings day or here in the evening. And I don't think you guys beat the spread even, so that's fascinating. We were packed out this morning. Must have been, uh, I don't know, a bunch of overachievers or something. But if I, if I hadn't been preaching, I wouldn't have been here. So good to have you guys here tonight. Um, again, my name is Jason. One of the pastors here with, uh, with Artisan. And I've told parts of this story before, but uh, it is rather unusual that I am a Christian, that I'm a follower of Christ. Uh, due in no small part to the fact that I was not raised in a Christian family or even one that faked it, you know, went to church, jumped through all the hoops, did the motions, all that stuff. But more so than how odd that is that I'm a follower of Christ, it's somewhat more interesting that I still am. And we're not going to get into the theology of once saved, always saved. Or all, but just that I'm still a practicing, active follower of Christ. Because my first introduction to theology taught me a few things that were a bit iffy, I've come to find out. And so, even though my parents, uh, you know, we weren't a Christian family, church going, I did have a mom who occasionally felt guilty. Anyone have that mom? You know, the guilty mom? Right. And she wanted her son, her firstborn, to be, uh, oh, to have some moral fortitude, to be shaped, all those good things. So occasionally, the car would sort of slow down in front of a Sunday school, and I'd get pushed out or something. Or, or there'd be a vacation Bible school or something like that. But the one where it's a wonder I stayed a Christian was at the age of eight. So this is this was a few years, several years before I became a follower of Christ, but at the age of eight, going to a church camp. Anyone been to, to church camp as a kid? Church camp. And at church camp, they sing songs. I, I use the word loosely, but, right? And there was a song that, at the, at the ripe age of eight or nine, taught some really profound theology about the person and work of Jesus and and what following him should look like and what the experience should be like. Anyone familiar with this old classic Apple Red Happiness? Anyone? Anyone here know Apple Red Happiness? Oh, I see some hands there. Well, if you don't, those who do, feel free to join in. Because here's how it goes. So this is this theology about Jesus. The song went... Apple red happiness, popcorn cheerfulness, cinnamon singing inside, peppermint energy, gumdrop holidays, when you give Christ your life. Then to the bridge. The benefits of God's great love are super satisfying. Throw away your sin. Let the sun come in, try it, and you'll see that you'll... Everyone, apple red hat. Has anyone tried that? And did you find that the peppermint energy just runs out after a while, right? (laughs) And so, if that had been the basis for me coming to Christ, that wonderful offer of apple red happiness and cinnamon singing inside. Yeah, on day two, when that proved not to be true, I probably would have walked away. 
depending on how bad it was, I may have run away. Whether you knew the song or not, was that ever a theology that someone offered you or you went looking for? How'd that turn out, right? So in this season of preparation going towards Easter, in the Christian calendar that's called Lent, we're looking at these passages in the Gospels in particular that speak of the wild, reckless nature of faith. Pastor Scott talked last week about the Holy Spirit driving Jesus. So the Spirit drove him. Where? Into the wild. And so the idea of an easy Jesus, let me suggest that that is a lie. <laughs> Straight out of hell. It's a lie on par with there is no God or God doesn't love you. Easy Jesus is perhaps a worse lie than even those two. But, don't take my word for it, let's turn to the scriptures. And we're in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. And I encourage you to use, bring your own Bibles, but if not, the ones under the chairs there, you can turn to page 820 in these, and we'll follow along in there. And we're going to end up in, uh, starting in Mark, chapter 8, verse 31. But I'll give a little context. So it's the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verse 31, is where we'll end up starting. But the context here is important. Because Jesus has been providing all the people bread and circuses. It's been an amazing display of, of miracles and just, just a good show. It's the second time Jesus has multiplied bread and fed thousands. In this case, beginning of chapter 8, he's uh, fed some 4,000 people. In the leftovers, there's seven baskets. The other time, it was 5,000 with 12 baskets. And even in spite of that, the Pharisees and others are demanding some more signs. The show must go on, right? What have you done for us lately, Jesus? So, oh, he heals blind people. He, just all this amazing stuff goes on. And so he finally corners and asks his followers. And Peter in particular answers. He says, who do people say that I am? And, Peter, and then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. You are God's anointed one come to deliver his people and make everything right in this world. And Jesus, being rather tuned in, suspects that there's, the light hasn't quite gone off yet. And so here's where we pick it up. In Mark chapter 8, verse 31, it says, Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering. And be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this all quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter pulled Jesus aside and said, easy, Jesus. Right? We didn't sign up for persecution. I dropped my kid off at Sunday school so he could be a nice boy, not a dead boy. You know? <laughs> uh, what? And so Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, easy, let's tone that down a bit. Jesus, don't you remember the, the song from synagogue camp? You know, Apple red happiness, gumdrop something, in. kosher herrings. <laughs> You know, the benefits of Yahweh's love are super satisfying. Throw away your sin. Follow the Torah and await the coming Messiah. 
And they didn't know why that was so hard to rhyme until Jesus came, right? So... Jesus, really? Easy. Let's bring it down a few notches, buddy, huh? And so Jesus, being the kind, gentle soul that he is, responds to Peter. And it says in verse 33 that he, that but turning and looking at his disciples. Wait, let's stop right there. Why is he eyeballing the rest of them? Isn't Peter's the one that just said the stuff, right? Here's what I imagine, which may or may not be helpful, what I imagine. I imagine they all heard Jesus say all this stuff because it said he said it quite openly. Probably this is a condensed version of him just going on and on and giving all the gory detail. And I imagine all the disciples were huddled together and saying, who's going to tell him that that's just crazy talk? And then then someone said, I I imagine Judas said, tell you what, whoever wants to tell him, take one step forward. And Peter's like, one step forward, and everyone else does one of these, you know. So Peter goes over there. He's always the guy jumping out of the boat, going and talking to Jesus, opening his mouth. But Jesus knows every last one of you and them were thinking the same thing. Easy, Jesus. And so Jesus eyeballs them, looks them in the eye, and says he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Put another way, Jesus says to his disciples who are looking for a tame Jesus, he says, get the hell out of the way. He actually swears at them. When he calls them Satan, it's not like a couple guys ribbing each other. Oh, you little Beelzebub, get out of here, Lucifer, and kind of a slap on the butt. No. If you throw down Satan, that's, that's using your words, but they're kind of fighting words, really, you know? And so Jesus, in no uncertain terms, says, if you're looking for a tame Jesus, you need to get the hell out of the way. But does he reject them? Is that's what he's getting at, is, is be gone. Does he Cast them out in a way with that phrase. Well, I think even in what he says, there's some hopefulness. But then he goes on. Verse 34. So he says hard words. And then he continues. So maybe he's going to soften it. So he called the crowd with his disciples. You know, everyone just huddle up. Some things were said. I just want to make things. No, he's going to say even harder words. Verse 34, he called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And we hear that, we sort of spiritualize it, and it's very abstract. It's, you know, crosses, those those little things you have around your neck. We don't think in terms of like an electrocution chair or a tail would be strapped down on for lethal injection, that the state would execute you. We probably should think that a little more, though. Because when he says, take up your cross and follow him, the picture in everyone's mind is clear. Very clear. And so Jesus, in no uncertain terms, says, get the hell out of the way. But when he says, get behind me, what he's saying is, follow my lead. You're in the wrong spot. 
If you're in the way of where I'm taking you and others, move. But then follow my lead. I go first, is what Jesus is saying. I will protect you. I will show you where to go. Follow my lead. So that's a little more hopeful. But where's this guy taking us? You know, before we hop on the bus, where's Jesus leading us? So in verse 35 and 37 of Mark chapter 8, he wants to be clear. Jesus has no interest in people being confused about what he's calling them to. I have no interest in that either. And so he's, he describes the destination and the journey here in verse 35 through 37. He says, for those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can I give? What can you give? What can they give in return for their life? Get out of the way. Follow my lead. And here's where I'll lead you, Jesus says. I will lead you to the cross. When does this get good? I will lead you to the cross. There's going to be a death involved. The old self, the sin, the rebellion, the hopes, the dreams, the aspirations, all of it dies. But if you follow my lead, I'll lead you through the cross. See, an easy Jesus, he gets slowed down by a cross. The wild Jesus... He just kicks back for a couple days and then bursts forth as that wonderful song said. Not terribly complicated stuff, is it? Like, is there a lot more explaining to be done? I don't think most of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, and and I hope there's people all along the spectrum here, I think especially for those who say they're followers of Jesus, that we don't, that when we fail to do what Jesus calls us to, it's not because we're confused. It's because we know full well what he's asking. And Peter and the other disciples, they didn't have their little, little confab there that then pushed Peter off to, you know, to calm Jesus down. Because they were unsure of what he was saying, they got it. And they profoundly disagreed. They wanted easy Jesus. And he just said a whole bunch of things that were not going to be easy. And so, if we were to apply that, what does that start to look like? Because, again, it's not complicated. It's not easy. But it's not complicated. So let me talk for a moment to those who would say you're followers of Jesus. I would put myself in that camp, probably good in a pastor, but shouldn't assume. (laughs) And so if you're here figuring things out, you don't even know if there is a God, you don't know if you care there's a God, 
you're looking, it is appropriate for you to listen in on this conversation. You're not butting in. This is, this is good stuff for you to hear too. But let me speak more directly to those who say they're followers of Jesus. And in case you missed it, if you're looking for a domesticated Jesus, an easy Jesus, if you're actually here to tame Jesus, then let me say as gently as I can, with all the pastoral care and comfort that I can muster up, you guys know me pretty well. Gentle is often confused with my middle name. If you're here to tame Jesus, get the hell out of the way. And that includes me. Because here's why that matters. As wild as things have been here at Artisan Church, and if you're relatively new here, you may not realize this is a young church community. We're about four years old in this whole deal. And Jesus has done some wild, amazing, untamed works in this church community. No doubt about it. But as wild as things have been, it's going to get wilder. It's only going to get more reckless, more risk-taking. And so I don't want to scare anyone. That's, that's not true, is it? Uh, so I want to scare everyone. But we'll talk through it. What we've done so far as a young church community has been relatively tame. Don't hear me saying that's been a bad thing or a sinful thing. But it's been relatively tame. If you don't believe me, I can imagine different groups of people here at Artisan that you could ask. So you may think it's been pretty wild. But you corner some of our folks here who have a heart that beats fast for social justice. You say to them, we've been doing some amazing stuff, right? It's been pretty wild. They're going to say, well, it's been some good stuff, but a little bit tame. You corner some of those folks here, and we do have them, uh, believe it or not, that whose heart is driven towards evangelism, that dirty E-word that we probably need to get a little more used to here, who actually think that, that the good news, that Christ is alive after he was crucified and dead and buried, and that he transforms lives, that folks ought to know that and experience that and be transformed by that. If you were to corner some of them and say, all these people coming to Artisan, Pretty wild, right? Well, not a whole lot of folks coming to Christ. Oh, there has been some, and there is. And we celebrate that. But I'm telling you, the evangelist folks here, you know, this has been fairly tame. Or you ask some folks, oh, well, let me pick something off the top of my head, whose heart beats fast to see, see things just multiplied and effective and, and grow beyond what is humanly possible. You say, we're at two services. We're twice the size we were 18 months ago. We're actually at a place where, where we can contemplate buying this building we're renting. That's pretty wild, right? 
Mm, no. But it's good stuff. And the fact of the matter is that it's been appropriate, that it hasn't been too crazy. Because you wouldn't put a four-year-old behind the wheel of a truck, unless you grew up in northern Maine, and then... (laughs) And you might. Uh, You wouldn't put a chainsaw in the hands of a 10-year-old, at least not in the hands of my 10-year-old. You wouldn't give a 16-year-old $100,000 to do whatever they want with. Except, of course, we've been behind the wheel from day one. We've had the power tools, and yeah... We got a hundred thousand dollar budget, even though we are still very adolescent. And so it's been appropriate that we've ramped up. But again, speaking to those who are followers of Jesus, I think it's time to get wild. And so imagine what would happen if if the gospel, as it connects with social justice here at Artisan, went from being a series of wonderful projects that touch lives and, and warm our hearts and went to being this untamable movement. What if the containers of this building and a couple worship service times and even this zip code became too constricting, too domesticated for the work Jesus wants, the wild, untamed work Jesus wants to do at Artisan. And imagine if we decided that we're not looking to buy a building so that we can settle down. But we're looking to secure a headquarters that we can pour out from. That would be wild, wouldn't it? And so the The idea of an easy Jesus, it's a lie straight from hell. On par, or perhaps worse, then there is no God, or God couldn't love you. You see, the religious establishment and the empire that the gospels speak of, they don't conspire to crucify an easy Jesus. No one gets upset about an easy Jesus. And an easy Jesus would politely stay in the grave. Thank you very much. So my challenge to us, who are followers of Jesus, is to instead recklessly follow the wild Jesus. And if we do that, then these next words are not for us. But we need to hear them anyways. So Mark chapter 8, verse 38. He says, those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. See, if we're too embarrassed, too shy, too ashamed to live out our faith in a way that makes a difference, that's a little bit untamed, a whole lot of reckless, kind of wild, Jesus says, when I return to just consummate everything I set in motion, the hard truth is, you won't be mine. 
Jesus says some hard words. If Jesus said easy words, soft words, he would probably produce hard hearts. But because he says hard words, because we speak hard words here at times, the hope is there'll be soft hearts. And so that's why he's just straight up honest. And so, as I'm sensing, and as we've been talking as a pastoral staff and a leadership team about the places Jesus is leading us, as we get out of the way and follow his lead, it's probably important for us to know where we stand with each other. Again, those who claim to be followers of Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to do something. Right there, everyone kind of clenched up, right? Like, oh, come on. Seriously. But I'm not looking to embarrass anyone. But I'd be more worried about you being ashamed. So, as a physical act of prayer, as a declaration that you're not ashamed, I want to ask you to do something. But if I were to think of a safe place to challenge you, what might that look like? If after this message, this service, you went out and I said, you know, on Monday morning during coffee break, I need you to stand up on your desk, wave your Bible, and just start preaching. That would be wild. Not necessarily what we're looking for. If the Holy Spirit tears into your coffee break, who am I to stand in the way? Nonetheless, I, I suspect that's not how Monday should go. Uh, or on your class this week, you've got that atheist pa- pastor. <laughs> That'd be a cool church, wouldn't it? That atheist professor. <laughs> I think there are some of those churches, by the way. But anyway, let's not get that going. Um, calm down. Jesus loves them too. You know, to get in your professor's face, would that be wild and bold? Sure. Would it be helpful? Maybe not. So if I were to imagine a really safe place for people to, to take those first just baby steps of, of recklessly following Jesus and not the easy Jesus, if I were to imagine such a place, it would look something like this. It would look exactly like this. There's never going to be a safer place in my mind for those who claim to be followers of Jesus to be honest with one another that here's where I stand and to have each other's support. And so if you can't stand here, you will not stand anywhere else is my guess. So, real simple, those who are tired, who have found themselves living the faith that is tame and domesticated and instead want to follow the wild Jesus Feel free to just stand up and just stay standing. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else, I promise. If you'll stay standing, I want to pray for you guys because you need prayer. And I just went from preaching to standing, by the way. You probably missed the transition, <laughs> it was subtle. One of the heroes of the, of, one of my heroes of the faith, uh, 
John Wesley. He was a guy who thought that Jesus should not be tamed inside the stone walls of the Anglican church that had long since lost their passion. And he thought the wild Jesus was to be found out on the grassy hillsides as the coal miners and the factory workers and the broken people. And he and his brother Charles set the whole movement to music, followed the reckless Jesus and saw a nation, even a, this new country at the time, transformed by the gospel. So that Methodist movement took, took root. Here's what he said. He said, give me 100 men. I'm sure the ladies would have been welcomed as well. But Give me 100 people who hate nothing but sin and love nothing but God, and we will change the world. And so I get the benefit of having been here this morning also. I add these numbers in. And I start to think, it might just get a little wild around here. Let me pray for you. So God, our prayer is for each other standing here that we would get out of the way of where you would lead us that we'd stop blocking your reckless grace. We'd stop taming it and domesticating it and trying to be polite and all of those just stupid things we do. Instead, we would follow your lead. We'd follow your lead to the cross because there is stuff that needs to die. And even as followers of Jesus, oh man, like zombies, we carry around dead stuff sometimes. And it just needs to go to the cross again. But the prayer also is that you would lead us through the cross and into new life. And that with reckless abandon, we would live out our faith. And so I pray for those who are standing here. That as we join together here at Artisan Church, or those who are visiting with us as they go to their church homes, that some wild things would start to happen. I pray this in the untamable name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Grab a seat. So that was a long conversation for those who may have been listening in, who are wondering, what does this have to do with me? Like I said, I think that was good to listen in on. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to, you need to hear those words. Because there's, there's a danger that that song's going to stick in your head, Apple Red Happiness. Not on my watch. Not at this church. I would rather make the gospel so unappealing that when the Holy Spirit drove you into the wild of that, you would know it was God. Because it wasn't because of some clever, inviting, welcoming syrupy sweet words that some dude said for 30 minutes at you sometime. But for you, there's other words as well. And for those who are seeking, here's the amazing paradox. You maybe caught it a little bit when Jesus said, those who try to save their life and just grasp it tightly, it's going to slip through your fingers. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. It's going to go away. But those who lose their life for my sake, 
will save it. And so the idea of a, of a heavy burden, of picking up your cross and following him, that does sound hard. To follow Jesus is hard. Do you know what's harder? To not follow Jesus. And it ends badly. It really does. And so Jesus has these words. For those who are concerned and, and worried that when they take up that cross, it will crush them. Because so many things have already tried to crush you. So Jesus says, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 28 and 30, and he says this, I think, particularly, I want to share it with those who are seeking and wondering. Is this Jesus thing so crazy that it just might work? He says this. He says, come to me, all you that are weary And carrying heavy burdens. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden. Oh it's a burden. But it's light. And so don't let the burden scare you. Don't let the fact that you're going to carry the own implement of your death with you, the cross. Because Jesus doesn't just lead you to the cross. He leads you through the cross. And so for me, at this point right here, is where I get uncomfortable. just want to be transparent. This is the point Where I want to say, easy, Jesus. Folks need more time. This is the point. We want to be a good postmodern pastor who's all about process and let's just just keep working this through. Because the journey is important as a destination. Well, you know what? The destination is pretty important too. And I worry sometimes that I actually am embarrassed to clearly declare the gospel that I am a sinner, that you are a sinner, that in rebellion against God, we are lost forever. And that apart from the work Jesus did in the cross of defeating Satan, sin, and death, and having that work applied to our lives, There is no ever after. There is no new life. There is no hope. And if in this lifetime we don't decide to receive that, we're lost. And so my, my concern, my worry, is that more than being kind of skittish and couching it in terms of, of process, being sensitive, intolerance, that I am worse ashamed. So let me be unashamed in declaring the gospel and just offer for those who have been seeking and searching and you genuinely feel the Holy Spirit, as Pastor Scott 
talked about last week, driving you into the wild. And you want to cross that line of faith? There will never be a safer place to start that journey than right here. And over the last few weeks, I know we've had a a couple people, you know, write on their info card, committing their life to Jesus, and, and that is fantastic. But as I read this passage, I wondered that the polite follow-up, sort of the private conversations, if that was really what he was talking about. And so again, not to embarrass anyone, but I'd rather you weren't ashamed. If that's for you today, would you stand up? And then I will pray. And those who are leaders and pastors and other folks, they may, they may come and just say hi to you and then, We'll catch up afterwards. Um, but let me just open that up. Jesus, my hope is the fact that no one stood up has more to do with with where people are in their seeking and searching with you. And God, I desperately pray that it's not because we who call ourselves followers of Jesus have been too timid and living into the lives of our friends and neighbors and even our enemies who don't know you. Such a place that we could invite them and they would be here. If that is true, we humbly repent. And having seen all who stood up earlier, that's going to change. But I'm also very thankful because I know something the folks in this room don't know. This morning, Tim and Lee, two full-grown men, stood up. That's the wild we're looking for. So those who are still doubting and still seeking and searching, give them boldness to make the wild step of faith and help us as a church community surround them. And more so, help us as followers of Jesus follow your lead to those people and invite them to be part of our lives and perhaps part of what's going on here at Artisan. And we trust that if we do that, if with reckless abandon we pursue you, wild things will start to happen. And the gospel will go forward. And we will be a church that you are not ashamed of. But that you are proud to call one of your own. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Amen. Of what? I'm not sure I heard what you said, sorry. Can someone... Of being B-E-I-N-G? Yes. I did hear you right, sorry. That's okay. I don't hear too well. So. We're a good combo. <laughs> Well, here's an appropriate response to go to the table. You're struggling. Can I pray for you? Come up and I'll pray for you. Let this prayer be an opening to our table. Uh, and really the time is, can you tell me your name one more time? Stirs. Hey, Stirs. I'm going to pray for Stirs. Man you feel like you missed the opening, you did not. Let's pray. God, I pray for stirs and the struggles that he's, he's feeling right now and the genuine burdens he carries in his person and his being through daily life. My prayer is that you would lighten that burden. That you would give him the strength, whether physical or or the strength of character, or the strength of spirit, whichever strength he needs. And that as he lives out in that strength, my prayer is that you do wild things through his life, and that he would be a visible example of the work of Jesus, so that others would be drawn to you. So bless him, we pray. Give him strength. Take away the struggles or take him through the struggles. But be with him. We know you will. Because it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen, brother. The communion table is open. You're welcome to tear a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice. The symbols of the body and blood of Christ. If, if you're still in a fairly tame place with Jesus, let me say some hard words. You need to repent of that and not go to the table. Until you sense that he's made that right. Which the way under understand grace works, that shouldn't take very long. But it's okay if it takes a while. All right? The table is open. I'm available to talk or pray with. Others are as well. Worship as God leads you.